nerds watch Disney podcasts. We watch films and have a blast. Rank them all from first to last. It's our podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Dudes Watch Disney episode 20, where it all begins again. It's The Great Mouse Detective, made in 1986. I am Jake. And I am Dustin, and this is the 20th time we've brought you a Disney animated feature. Yeah. At least one of the canon. Right. (laughs) I mean, I think technically Fun and Fancy Free was a Disney animated feature, but... (laughs) Well, sure, but we've done other things, too. Right. Um, so we made it to the first film that was in, uh, Dustin's lifetime. Like we've made it to the modern era. Well, I don't know. I'm very old. (laughs) A guy in his thirties was alive in this movie when this movie came out. This movie came out in 1986 and I was born in the end of 85. And so how about that? Like Mm -hmm. we started in the thirties and, you know, not to pat ourselves on the back too hard, but you know, we've come a long way, 20 episodes in. It's true. And, uh talking the great mouse detective which i love this movie i watched it a ton as a kid me too like usually with you yeah and like we had it but like i don't think anyone else did like this was always the movie that none of my friends knew about like i remember trying to describe it to my friend will in like high school and was like oh man remember wasn't this movie cool and he thought like based on my description that like mickey mouse was the main character and it's like no i wouldn't that'd be lame this is way cooler than that's but you hear Disney and Mouse, maybe that's where your brain goes to. Right, but as we've talked about in previous episodes, mice are overrepresented in the cartoon community. Yes. You know, you've I, got... When we, we were watching, like, as I was reviewing Fox and the Hound, I was thinking, or as I was editing Fox and the Hound, I was thinking about when you brought that up, and I was like, you could do the same thing for fucking dogs. Like, how many dogs are there? In... <laughs> sure, but dogs are people are part of people's lives. They live in their houses with them. They're pets. Like, very few people have pet mice. I like, suppose. But there's Mickey and Minnie, and there's the Rescuers, and there's uh, the Great Mouse Detective, and there's, you know, there's Tom or Jerry... Jerry, I guess. Mm. I didn't know which one it was the first time I made this point either. I think uh, your point was actually mouse. that cats were overrepresented, no, not no, mice. No, no, cats make sense. Cats are pets too. It's mice. Mice are over overrepresented. Okay. It's a cartoon. Let's do a mouse. Why? That's what I say. Success Why? in the past is what I imagine. I, mean, I guess you could broaden it out to rodents in general if you wanted to add in like uh chip and dale and bugs bunny and bunnies are rodents right uh, that's science are they i don't know i think so that you <laughs> nobody the knows like... what rodents are <laughs> all right bats aren't rodents they're mammals yeah that's where you splice in that clip instead of that horrible <laughs> val kilmer impression <laughs> but also like rodents are mammals like that's a really that stupid true. thing to say <laughs> How much you know about Sherlock Holmes? Because that's what we're dealing with today. Uh, about the books, very little. There's like one short story we read same. in elementary school that we read the same one in like three different grades, it feels like, on the Speckled Band. Um, and that's <laughs> I've never heard it. of that, so. It's a, it's a snake. Like, it crawls down a rope and, I don't know, kills people in their bed or something. I don't remember either from seventh grade or fifth grade <laughs> or how many, whichever grades that we went through it. Uh, but I have seen, uh, you know, the British show Sherlock mm-hmm. and I have watched every episode, well, slept through several <laughs> episodes, but watched every episode of Elementary, uh, the uh, Much American less show. Much successful <laughs> and critically acclaimed American uh, version. 
it must be relatively successful. It went on for like seven or eight seasons. That's because like, old people watch CBS. Like that's why. Well, maybe. I don't know but if that's okay, what the network it's I on. Think that's how you. It is, but I, it, well, it had its last season last year, but or earlier, no, last year. Um, but also, like that's how you define whether a show is successful, right? Like how long it runs. I suppose. Uh, well, yeah. It's not a bad show. It, it was just it was oddly paced. Where like uh, sometimes it would expect you to remember things from like you know dozens of episodes ago, and then sometimes uh, it would set up like it was going to do one storyline and then drop that all together and do something totally different. And like I don't know. It had a uh, Lucy Liu in it, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. She's Watson. Right. They gender swapped Watson. Well, we uh, species swap Watson in this one and make him a well, mouse instead. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, not a lot of Sherlock Holmes knowledge on my end either. So it's like, are we if you know, if you're looking for analysis of like, oh, this is where they drew from this inspiration from this book, and this is from this book. It's like we're not gonna know any of that shit. There's some comparisons I can make to the BBC show because I've seen that, but like, right? I mean, Sherlock things or Sherlock Holmes things that I know. Like he is a detective named Sherlock Holmes. I think he has like a drug problem, maybe. Uh, he's got a sidekick Watson and Watson exists because he's smart, but he's not as smart as Holmes, which like right. gives uh, a chance to show off how smart Holmes is. Right. Right. Where like, uh, he can say, well, you figured out all this Watson, but let me tell you how I did this or whatever. And their discussions give you more insight to Holmes's stuff so that he's not, so you don't have a narrator, like just, you know, <laughs> throwing this stuff at you the right. whole time. Or you don't have him just sitting around going, well, now I'm doing this so I can do that. And then because he doesn't explain himself that way because he's busy. Right. And know, if he was working it. alone, why would he explain it? But if he has some like a dumb exactly. dumb with him to explain it to, then the audience gets to understand. And that really right. shines through in Disney version here, too. But he's um, not meant to be a dumb dumb. Like he's a doctor. He's, you know. Right. And this is done well in the well, in both uh, elementary and and Sherlock, where the sidekicks, either uh, Bilbo or Lucy Lou, uh, both are incredibly competent. What? What's funny? What's funny is you didn't say it like Bilbo Baggins or anything. You said it like Bilbo, <laughs> like his last name is Bo. And that threw me off. I'm like, Martin Freeman? Oh, Bilbo. Gotcha. Yes. I like. I thought you were saying yes. Bill Burr or something first. but Yes. No, not Bill Burr. Morgan's little brother, Martin Freeman, <laughs> and uh, Lucy yeah. Lou. Uh, do you remember the chip and... Are they not related? Or this is another I thing? would assume not. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was just born on vacation. <laughs> the guy from Mississippi and the guy from England. Maybe it's his son. Maybe it's like a. I mean, I don't know. Their, their ages seem like maybe one would be father and son. I don't do you know. Rem- Go do ahead. Do you remember the Chippendale episode we had on tape that was like a, a Sherlock Holmes kind of thing? It was called. It, it was like Hound yeah, of the yeah. Baskervilles, Hound- but. I don't know. It was a Chippendale mm-hmm. version of that, which I don't remember. But it was like a ghost dog yeah. in a castle. Basker squeals or Probably. something stupid like that. It featured it featured a lot of either Chip or Dale, whichever was the smart one, having the hat and the magnifying glass and the dumb things that like WWE used to put in stupid backstage san- segments with like Santino or R Truth or something. It's like hat and magnifying glass. <laughs> oh, we're looking for a clue. That's pretty much all you get. But we watched that. Or I watched that a lot, at least. And I think there we had another one on tape where they went to space. And those that's the, my knowledge of Chip and Dale. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I remember the theme song, of course, but I don't remember much about the different episodes. And of course everyone remembers the gadget was hot. But that's uh you know. Monterey Jack was the coolest. <laughs> 
this film was released July 2nd, 1986, so that puts you at like, what, six, seven months old when uh, it came yeah. out. Uh, and unlike Black Cauldron and several of the previous films, uh, it was actually reviewed positively and was a huge financial success. Now, part of that is because uh, after the monetary failure of Black Cauldron, this was given a very, very small budget to work with. I think it was like $10 million or something. But, you mm-hmm. know, it, it made that back like four times that amount or something in its first release. Um, One of the animators who worked on the film uh, originally was supposed to work on Black Cauldron, and he uh, basically pouted long enough where they told him to go make a different movie yeah. uh, instead. And he was like, I mean, I don't want to do this movie anyway. This movie's going to suck. And they're like, no, this movie's the future. This is where we're going in the future. You're making one of those old movies. We're not about exactly. that anymore. This is what we're going to be. Uh, and then, of course, that guy ends up being vindicated, which on the one hand is sort of unfortunate. We could have seen Disney do new things. pushing themselves more creatively, although we eventually get to that with i guess right. uh when they bring in the well i don't know if they push themselves creatively that much more but bringing in the uh the broadway guys to do the music really seemed to like right up the ante disney wise but uh watching this movie last night uh i have the dvd copy now which of course we didn't have when we were little because dvds didn't exist when we were little uh, but it starts out um uh, with a screen it's got like big ben uh in the background and then like a very cheaply done uh drawing a picture of uh basil and nothing else moves it's not like a like a gif or whatever except his eyes just kind of move back and forth like a, like a hmm. felix the cat uh clock and it's just it's the creepiest thing like why are you doing this you could have just done the still you know one cell here's the picture we're using like what are you doing with these eyes like he's not a creepy character this isn't like why 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 did you do this right yeah that is a little odd i don't really get that it should have like uh like the painting of professor radigan that like smiles when the thunder goes off like that would make more sense yeah how do you feel about the title of this film the 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 great mouse detective it's actually based on a series of books called uh basil of baker street um apparently that's what the movie was supposed to be titled right. until uh very late in the game yeah it was a very late title change um based on in 1985 uh there was a movie that came out called young sherlock holmes uh that uh, apparently didn't do well at the box office so they didn't want anything like i don't know they didn't want anything too english i think is the phrase that was used because they felt the name basil was uh so they're like okay uh this is actually a michael eisner decision so top top of the company here is like no don't do that that won't work just tell it like get a real descriptive title on there so kids know what it's about and they go see it and we don't like risk alienating anybody and uh this was <laughs> unpopular with the uh filmmakers and animators in the studio and stuff and so apparently there was a memo that went around disney that was like uh mocking the retitling of this film but with uh like as if they retitled other disney films to uh describe exactly what they're about instead of having any kind of artsy title <laughs> and the the films on that right. list were uh seven little men help a girl uh the wonderful <laughs> elephant who could really fly the little deer who grew up the girl with the see-through shoes two dogs fall in love puppies taken away and a boy a bear and a big black cat <laughs> i'd actually i mean and maybe because this is the only name that I have known it by, but I don't feel like the name is that 
offensive. Like, no. maybe I didn't, you know, feel attached to the book series or, you know, starting on the film project uh, the way the animators did and working on it under one title and then having that changed by someone at the top. And I could get where that would be offensive, where, like, the decision maker is making the decisions for the creative people right. and I could get where they wouldn't enjoy that. But, like, I don't feel like this is an offensive name swap. Like, that's an all right name for a movie. Right, yeah. I mean... And it still sort of tells you what the movie's going to be about, where Basil Baker Street could be about anything, you know. But like, I guess uh, yeah, from from a higher up point of view, I can I can understand the logic behind that. It's you know marketing, like, hey, it's a mouse, he's a detective, go see it, everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. Does Sherlock Holmes appeal to little kids? Like, I don't know. You know, I feel like he would now. I don't know how much he did in general, but I feel like we tried to do Sherlock kind of things over and over again. Uh, in media like young Sherlock Holmes like this like Encyclopedia Brown those books were yeah, big and kid, kids true. solving mysteries you know uh, like yeah, Nancy, Nancy Drew, Drew and Hard, the Boxcar Children and, yeah. yeah the Boxcar Children I don't know mysteries. I never read I those I was but you said it with I read like one book so I was gonna believe you I did but I just named I might have just been naming children's book series I <laughs> the don't Bailey know. School Kids Goosebumps like they're all solving mysteries Wishbone <laughs> yeah um, what's the story Wishbone <laughs> that's the actual theme song but you thought it was the theme song to goof troop <laughs> right because i didn't watch goof troop. what's the story so I don't goof know how the troop. Song goes. well how does the goof troop song go then uh it's the goof troop we always i don't remember best of friends right. forever i mean i never watched it i did enjoy it because we didn't have disney channel right. i guess when it was on but uh, I did enjoy a, a goofy movie, and I don't know that I liked a goofier movie, but a goofy <laughs> movie. An I extremely liked. goofy movie is what the sequel is called. Well, whatever. It's I'm called. looking forward because we're totally going to review a goofy movie when we get to that. Because, like, in general, it's really good, but, like, listening back, because, uh, you know, I've told you I got all those Disney songs on my phone now. The Goofy movie, like, music is really good. Like, I think they put, oh, yeah. like, all of their Dis- Disney Renaissance Broadway people got put on that <laughs> on that crew to make that film. Because, on the Open like, Road is a great song. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, like, school opening, like, after today, bah, 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 song, like, that sets the scene and is also, like, kind of like going to see Grease at a, you know, Broadway show or something. <laughs> like, it's got all the high school stuff and it's... And then it's, we also make like actual fucking pop songs for Powerline when they go to his concert and stuff. Like, there's so much yeah, good stuff they, in that. They put movie. some effort into it. Yeah, which you know, it's actually made by Disney Toon Studios, which are the same people that made like Cinderella Two and shit. So the effort stopped after that movie. But but the movie opens uh, with some foggy London background um, in 1897. Mm-hmm. The fog is useful for covering up sort of the. Not a whole lot of detail on these establishing shots, because budget. Um, and we zoom in on a little shop called, uh, a little, little shop to show, hey, mice. Not, not because we see human-sized shops, too, but right. a little shop called Flaversham's Toys. And again, we're doing the cold open thing, which we've done a few few Disney movies in a row now. I know Black Cauldron, Fox and the Hound, um, <clears throat> Rescuers, and... I think all of those we found to be a, a good creative choice. Um, right, and it really stood out on Rescuers. Now we've done it, I guess, because it stood out that time. Let's right. just keep doing it. Now that's how our movies open. Yeah, but the since Rescuers, they've all opened on, like, action, and this is the same thing. We show, uh, I wrote Scrooge McDuck, because that's his voice, but <laughs> Flaversham, <laughs> the guy making the toys. Yeah. Mr. Flaversham. Hiram is his first name. I think so, yeah. Uh, and his daughter, Olivia, and, uh, yeah, they're they're working in a 
a toy shop. He's given her a gift because it's her birthday. It's like this little dancing toy that he's made, which is, you know, real cute and peaceful. But then we hear like scuffling outside the door and like, oh, shit, what's what's coming? We see like close ups of like a peg leg dragon on the ground. And, uh, you know, I kind of remember this whole intro. Surprise, surprise, scaring me as a kid. <laughs> I realized that you meant peg leg dragging on the ground, but it sounded like a you peg said leg pe- dragon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, wow. Peg leg dragon on the ground. Like. <laughs> No, dragging. Okay, um, peg leg dragging on the ground, yes. But yeah, surprise, a, a thing in a Disney movie scared me as a kid, but like, it was, uh, you know. We, well, the, we do the same jump scare with Fidget's face uh, a few times yeah, in this movie, and each time it's it's pretty pretty. It's spooky. intense, yeah. The big yellow eyes and everything. Um, but like the, the tension of like the door handle more than anything, of just like rattle, rattle, like. Mm-hmm. And they've got know, nowhere to go. Getting yeah. worse, and it's like, oh shit, Olivia, hide, and you know. He hides her in a cabinet, and then uh, the door busts open, and it's a big bat uh, named Fidget, who we've brought up a few times on this movie, on this movie, on this podcast, because we can't ever mm-hmm. remember his name. But right, <laughs> fun, fun little side character, and it's interesting to watch him go from like really scary in this opening scene to like mostly comedy throughout the rest of the movie. Right, and he is well, he goes back and forth from being like a real threat to being a you know comedic comedic relief. character. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, is voiced by uh, the same guy who voiced uh, who voiced who voiced the chief in Peter Pan and right. uh, Candy Candido is his name. Right, he's in a few different films. I guess is he in Rob? I think he's in Robin Hood. Yeah, he's in yeah, Robin he's Hood when they do the Arrow. Uh, yeah, the real deep voice guy. You actually hear his normal voice in this movie too. Uh, in, the in the bar scene. scene. Yeah. yeah. But at this point, they like they haven't recorded his lines and they play them back faster or whatever to uh, right lighten his tone i guess or lighten his uh vo- or his pitch but uh the closest modern day thing i can think of his uh voice is like brad garrett maybe <laughs> just like the really deep like like yeah but this seems even deeper than even that. even like, deeper than that but with, uh, as as a uh, fitbit or whatever his name is he's like it's a sped up version of that so he's like ah, i didn't get the girl i got to like i don't know voice work <laughs> not my strong suits <laughs> I like, uh, he comes in and <clears throat> there's a struggle with him and uh, Flaversham, uh, but... Right, it's uh, sort of an off-screen fight, we don't see it. We, we see, see the, the shadows, shadows and we and we focus on Olivia's reaction, which is important because, right. like, it's even as scary as th- this attacker could be, it's even scarier to watch it when from her. you don't her, see him. Uh, well, that, and to watch her perspective on it, because if you were a small child, you know, you would be extra scared in this environment or whatever and so right. you uh, immediately sort of empathize with her and then so i think that was a good choice yeah and this is seemingly an out of nowhere thing like uh as we go on this movie goes on uh right I mean, know, why would you assume as a toy maker that you're a target for the biggest bad right. guy in town the bad guys are just using flaversham for his toy making skills it's not like they have a vendetta or anything like that it's so right it's like he's not like in debt to radigan or whatever yeah so middle of the night break in you know like you don't you would never expect this coming. It's just total shock. But yeah, intense cold open, and then we go right to the well, sort of the opening credits uh, music, which is... Yeah, know, so we have the opening struggle, and then eventually uh, Fidget leads him away or whatever, you know, runs off with him. Uh, we get we don't get a Disney death here, but we get a uh, Disney parental nut punch to start the movie, the same <laughs> way we did, you know, Fox yeah. and the Hound. Um, True. Well, not the same way, but in a similar way to the way we did Fox and the Hound. Uh, and then, like, we go straight from, like, this really intense opening to with the strings or whatever. Yeah. Right. Just a really, like, jarring jump. Like, it could it have been, like, intense music or, like, 
you know, some some other sort of transition there, but like that music is way happy uh, for yeah. that for that jump that we're making there. It's happy, but also like actiony of just like okay, we're ready to go, we're ready to solve mysteries. Yeah, know? but yeah, it is it is a little bit different. And uh, then we, uh, you know, after the opening credits are played out, we do uh, we cut to a narrator saying like, oh, I remember when I first met Basil of Baker Street, and you know, yeah, really I think the scene. One of the strong points of this movie is the the way it happens, or the plot of this movie happens simultaneous with the plot of a Sherlock Holmes movie or yes. a Sherlock Holmes story that's going on too, like. Dawson is riding on a carriage, and so is Watson. Um, they both right. get off, you know, at two two one Baker Street, you know, right or two two one and a half in uh, exactly Basil or in Dawson's yeah. case. How do we feel about that with uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes actually being a character in this Sherlock Holmes kind of story? Like when we did Robin Hood, like there wasn't the Fox version of Robin Hood, and he lived underneath the adult, the human version of Robin Hood. You know, like it's a different kind of thing. I kind of um, like it because it gives you the chance to like this isn't the exact same character. It's clearly it is a mouse yeah. version of it, but it's you know it's it's its own little world. I mean, it's sort of like I, mean, I haven't seen this yet, but I really want to like into the uh, Spider Verse or whatever. Like this is a universe where Sherlock Holmes is a mouse, except they're actually happening at the same time, but uh, yeah. in the same universe. But I haven't seen it either. But I you know heard only positive things. Yeah. So Dawson happens by on his carriage, and he runs into uh, a distraught Olivia. Mm-hmm. Dawson uh, is an army doctor. Uh, an army is doctor, Dawson? same as <laughs> he's not a dachshund; he's a mouse. He's an army doctor, same as Watson. Um, and you know, he's coming back to London after being deployed in the war, and he's like, "Oh, well, I'm new in town, and I need a place to stay." And instead, he finds a sad, lost girl. Right. Um, who you know? It's it's Olivia from the opening scene. She's trying to find Basil of Baker Street because she's got a newspaper clipping saying like this guy solves crimes and he'll help you. But he's like, she's like, but I'm lost and I don't know where to go. And he's like, well, I don't know any Basil, but I do remember where Baker Street is. So convenient that you know his location is in his name. Right, that does help. But uh, you know, we establish right away of you know Dawson having a, you know a big heart and wanting to help this girl and you know wanting to mm-hmm. make sure. Uh, she's taken care of, and so that's that's nice. Uh, I mean, you sort of assume that's well, but I guess you get uh, two versions of very overweight characters in this uh, in this movie. And like, so in Dawson's case, he gets all the like Santa Claus jolly, like yeah. he's friendly and wants to help people traits. Uh, and then you get Radigan, who's just like, <laughs> you know, a monster. So then we cut to, we get to Baker Street, two, two, one and a half. Um, you know, we clearly see he lives underneath uh, Sherlock. Um, we meet uh, the landlady who has a name, but I just called her Mrs. Potts because that's who she is. It's the same voice lady from Beauty no, and the not. Beast. It is not Isn't Angela it? it is too. No, it is not. Angela Lansbury was Mrs. Potts. Yes. I didn't and know this that. is not that. No, you're right then. Her name I I said is that. Mrs. Judson, apparently. Judson? The yeah, character's name? Yes, but that's not what I wrote down. Um, Hudson, I think, is what I wrote, because that's an actual that's name. That's the actual one? Gotcha. No, but uh, well, I don't know if that's an, the actual one. It's just that's an actual name and uh, not Judson. But Hudson sounds familiar as, like, Sherlock Holmes' character. But anyway, she uh, takes care of the house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we knock on the door. It's like, is this where Basil... Oh, Johnson. Basil... Johnson is what I wrote down. Is this but where Basil of Baker Street lives? And it's like, she's like, yes, I'm sorry. What do you need him for? Right. He's not here. Mm-hmm. I do like uh, the opening, not the opening, but this scene uh, is really effective to introduce Basil and to introduce Radigan. Uh, you get mm-hmm. to figure out who they are right away when Basil comes right. in with all that energy and, and 
you know, not having time to talk to them. Right. And really, this is, you know, I'm assuming correct to like the actual books of Sherlock Holmes, but like it mirrors what the BBC show does, you know, anytime, you know, uh, Sherlock has a breakthrough on a case or whatever. It's like bust in the door, wearing a wacky outfit. You don't know what that's about. Has a gun, um, you know, is, you know, having a breakthrough, isn't paying attention to anything that's around him. Even the strangers in his house trying to talk to him, doesn't even notice him. And then, uh, you know, eventually Dawson gets his attention and he's like, oh, yes, doctor, nice to meet you. And he's like, how did you know I was a doctor? And then he gets to go through all that kind of stuff, which is the mm-hmm. same kind of shit we see, you know, it, I'm, it's been a while since I've seen the beginning of the BBC show, but I'm pretty sure they're they're meeting each other is basically the exact same. And right. while he's explaining himself, he's loading a gun and handing Dawson pillows. And then he's like, oh, it's <laughs> elementary by Dawson. And then he eventually immediately points the gun right at him and Dawson panics and throws the pillows in a chair and. Which yeah. upsets Mrs. Judson to come in and be like, my good pillows. Of and course. Scoop up all the feathers, which I mean, what are you going to do with the pile of feathers? Like, what what are you doing? <laughs> True. Also, feather pillows are the fucking worst. Let's just. I will agree with that. Yeah. Like they poke you. They come out. They stick to your clothes if you're wearing clothes. Otherwise, I guess they stick to your body. I don't uh. know. Uh, but just like the worst. Like who thought? I mean, I get you maybe it was like hard right. times in the uh 1700s it would make sense but like why are people still using feathers in their pillows you got me i don't know i'm not like taking this from like an animal rights like PETA standpoint just like they're just uncomfortable and unbearable like fill it up with something nice i hear they suck too if you have any kind of allergies like the pillows just fuck you up maybe I don't, don't experience that but it seems like the worst so the room is filled with all these different like rube goldberg things mm. and like all his experiments from other cases we assume uh going on right yeah, and he, he does this little gun trick, and he's like immediately like, no, I can't talk right now, and takes the bullet and tries to line it up with another bullet so we can assume we're trying to make evidence line up here, but it doesn't mm-hmm. line up, so like it, so he like breaks down because of it, and so immediately we've had several Sherlockian things of like bust in, crazy scheme, do some like Sherlock interpretive shits, and then like endanger someone's life and then sweet talk the landlady to be like oh go get those crumpets for me that you know you love so much they're delicious and then uh try to figure out his uh evidence here and then when it doesn't work completely emotionally break down and start playing a violin like we've checked off like all of the sherlock fucking characteristics in a two-minute scene like pretty masterfully i gotta say yeah, yeah. I, I'm always inter- I'm always entertained by the way that we introduce characters, not just in Disney movies, but uh, the way that uh, we sort of get over who these characters are in whatever yeah. a movie is. Like, how do you, you know, show and tell and explain who each character is? And so the way that we introduce Basil is really, uh, you know, perfectly done, uh, mm-hmm. explaining you know, who he is and how he acts and what this character represents. Uh, and then when he does the voiceover explanation of who Radigan is, and then we transition to seeing him in action, uh, right. we get the same, you know, perfectly done intro of, of the villain as well. Right. And I can see where, like, if you are watching this, you know, having never seen it before, you're going to watch this and it, it's easy to feel like, okay, well, this is doing stuff, but like the fucking, we just, uh, the BBC show does this like so much better. And it's like, it does this. I, you know, relate to that or I, I enjoy that introduction of the character more, but it's like, okay, yeah, that's all great. But we were doing this in 1986 and, you know, it was just as effective as a character introduction then, than it is in like 2011 or whenever that show started, you know, mm-hmm. it's like may feel like, I don't know, cliche may be the word for it, but like, you know, if you hadn't seen that shit before, cause like, I can't remember any, 
uh, I'm sure there were like Sherlock Holmes films or, you know, uh, other, other books or anything like modernizations of Sherlock Holmes, but I can't remember any from 86. And there's a good chance that at least children watching this would not have had any sort of introduction to the character before. And so I like, I feel like this is a great way to do it. I agree. So while we're doing this, uh, Sherlock's upset and playing his violin. Sherlock. Basil is upset and playing his violin. And then Olivia tries to explain, like, what's going on. It's like, no, my father's missing. And he's like, well, surely your mother knows where he is. Like, clearly not mm-hmm. taking the situation seriously. And then he's like, I don't have a mother. And it's like, oh, okay. And then she mentions, like, yeah, and he was taken by this bat. And he's like, what? A bat? Did he have a crooked wing? And, you know, it was like, he knows the bat. He knows who he works for. And that's how we transition into introducing Professor Radigan, whose picture smiles as soon as we mention it. Um, right. Which is some cool villain shit. But uh, <laughs> Professor Radigan is probably going to be uh, one of our big talking points of this movie because he's very much the most entertaining part of the movie for me. Um, Definitely. Voiced by legendary actor Vincent Price, uh, who apparently this was on his bucket list. He really wanted to do a, wanted to do a Disney. Disney movie and got to mm-hmm. star in this one. Yeah, uh, it's a shame it wasn't like a higher profile one, you know, because this is one that's not not a lot of people know. But like, uh, yeah, Vincent Price, uh, amazing actor, mostly known for horror films and stuff, was in the '60s Batman show. Like, yeah, was egghead. A, yeah. Uh, has played all these just great character actor over the years played like ridiculous villains and stuff and seeing him in animation form is a lot of fun and apparently uh they originally had a different design for radigan but then they saw like how uh, uh how vincent price was like performing it and stuff and they were like okay i feel like this guy should be bigger like a big big strong rat or whatever and mm-hmm. sort of redesign the character around him uh and in this scene we we get over uh two characters we uh we have characterization of, of two different, uh, we have the villain and Flavisham. And so uh, yeah. Radigan comes in and he tries to make, you know, some, to, gri- to gripe at Flavisham and, you know, right. tell him you're not working fast enough. You gotta... Yeah, he's, he's working on what appears to be some sort of robot creature at this moment. We don't know what, but like, it makes sense to have a toy maker doing this. You know, he knows, you know, tinkering. He knows how to tinker. Putting things together. Yeah. Uh, but so he, he's, he's like, not working fast enough, and it's frustrating to Radigan, and so he starts to threaten him, but Flavisham sort of had enough. He's like, I don't care what you do like, to me. No, I won't you can do, do it. Right. You can yeah. do what you want to me. I don't care. And he's like, but what if we get your daughter? And then he grabs the toy that he made for his daughter earlier, and it's like, oh, like, twists it up and sees it dancing. It's like, look at this sweet little doll, and then immediately crushes it. And when he does, we see, like, the intensity and the, like... Uh, propensity for violence just in his face which is is really you know con- contradicting i don't know it, it, it's what you wouldn't expect from his uh the way he's dressed and his like poshness you're like oh okay right you know, rat rat in a top hat here like this guy's gonna be regal and you know aristocratic Similar, and um but then you see like the violent monster that's inside you know done in a totally different way i know you haven't seen uh the uh, netflix show daredevil um but nope. did that get one, canceled? Was that one of those? It did. It season, well, the, and this may or may not be true, but, you know, Disney's starting their own streaming thing. So one of the theories is that they're canceling all the Netflix stuff so that they can restart them on their own network or whatever. Now, Maybe. part of the way, like, apparently the actors' contracts work is, like, if it gets canceled, they can't do any... Uh, they can't, like, restart the show in the next two or three years or whatever, so you got to hope they're also not doing something in two or three years but it may take that long before they would get set up anyway so i don't know hmm. anyway what i was going to say but in that netflix show uh the main villain is uh kingpin uh yeah wilson fisk 
and uh, it's done sort of the same way. He dresses very classy. He has this uh, demeanor of, you know, poshness and well-mannered and, and all that. And so very few people actually get to see the sort of monster that Hiding is. beneath. Uh, because publicly he's just, you know, a man of, of business and, you know, whatever, like you, um, now he's not Vincent Price, like it's a much more like serious, um, you know, he's not singing songs about, you know, how great he is or whatever, but it's the same mm-hmm. sort of idea of like, you can see physically he's big and imposing, but, uh, it's only in certain scenes where you get to see, oh shit, this guy's actually like a monster. Yeah. And that's really what this movie is building up to with Radigan too. Like we can sort of see like the violence, uh, underneath we really get to see it at the end of the movie but uh ra- the other part is just the way vincent price plays him is just he's clearly the type of villain who's absolutely in love with himself and in love with everything that he's doing like i think right after he threatens flaversham he goes i love it when i'm nasty right <laughs> and yeah so like uh i feel like disney um there's 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 a few different kinds of disney villains like there's the ones that can be campy and silly and just like completely infatuated with themselves um or they can be, you know, serious and scary and dangerous, you know, violent ones. And uh, I think there's some Disney villains, which many of the best, that, like, are kind of the best of both worlds. Like, they straddle that line and get a little of both. Um, I'd say Scar, Jafar kind of fit into that. Ursula, um, Hades, definitely. Like, you know, the the villains that are, like, uh, really campy and sort of, like, Jafar's, I don't know. Jafar's pretty straight-laced, though. Like, you've got Iago to be goofy, really. True. Like. I mean, I guess he's kind of over the top when he becomes a genie and, like... Right, and, like, the, some of the stuff, you know, his, like, just... Abu-boo. The Prince Abu-boo, and, like, uh, when he's threatening Jasmine, or, or, you know, when he announces that, like, he's going to marry Jasmine or whatever, and, and it's, like, Jasmine's like, <gasps> and then he goes, oh, you're speechless, I see, a fine quality in a wife. <laughs> like, <laughs> just just see the, like, dickhead kind of shit. I don't know. True, yeah. But, uh, but Ursula, but, you're right, can go back and forth from being, like... This is a comedic figure to, oh, this person's really scary. Right. I thought, and you didn't agree with me as much, that Captain Hook was sort of on that line uh, as sure. well of like being, uh, you know, very, very silly. Um, yes. But at times, you know, a threat. More on the silly side. But I, I see your point. He's a, he's a little of both. Um, I think I just see Captain Hook as like as like mm-hmm. Ric Flair. Like <laughs> he's got a ridiculous outfit and he's like super he's the most entertaining part of that movie in the way that like, you know, you don't really hate Ric Flair if you're like watching in, you know, an eighties uh Crockett show or whatever. But uh but he's still the vi- the villain and at times it was a, is a serious threat, like when the horseman would jump someone and, you know, like when they're breaking right. Dusty's leg or whatever. Right. And I think Professor Radigan, even though he comes from a lower profile movie, belongs in this category of like top tier Disney villains here because just the way he like he's just so, uh, I don't know, enthralling of a character to watch. And we get to see even more of that once we get into this song here uh, to Radigan, uh, which is one of my favorite songs in Disney in general. It is great. it's and just a have, real catchy, like, barroom sing-along thing sung by in his In the his same uh, vein as, like, Gaston's song, exactly. you know, several years later. But right. uh, when you have a villain that's so goofy and so campy or whatever, and then when they do, you know, suddenly become uh, threatening and imposing or whatever, it makes it that much more... Uh, well, it can... It depends. If it's done well, it can make it that much more uh, frightening and that much more, like, 
scary and intense. If it's not done well, then it's like, oh, this guy's scary now. I thought he was just he was just yeah. big show dancing in a diaper a while ago. Like now he's <laughs> right. a serious threat. Like, but if it's done well, then it's right. you know, like, oh, oh no. Like, and we sow the seeds for the, the you know the Radigan transformation that happens throughout this uh, mm-hmm. with with his th- with his squeezing the doll a minute ago, and then in this song here, you know, to Radigan, to Radigan, to Radigan, to Radigan, and then the one drunk mouse goes to Radigan, the world's greatest rats, and it's like that is clearly his you know trigger to commit horrible violence because he doesn't want to be reminded that he's a rat, uh, and t- we even get that reinforced by his minion saying oh you're not a rat you're a mouse yeah a big mouse (laughs) uh, says a lot about his psyche that he doesn't want to be you know told what he is inside Um, during during the scene i wrote something down that doesn't uh i don't know if we have an answer for uh but i don't know what it is that makes this animation look so 80s but it does like every part of mm -hmm. it looks like it's from the 1980s doesn't you wouldn't get it confused with a later disney movie or an earlier disney movie uh, but at the same time, like, it's not like they're wearing, like, shoulder pads and, like, they have, like, you know, hairspray and all these other, like, 80s things. But there's sure. something about it, and this is not set in the 80s, it's set in the uh, 1890s. But there's something about it that makes it look very 80s, and I don't know what, what it is. I, I wouldn't know unless it's, like, a subconscious thing of, like, television animation becoming much more popular in the 80s. And so we have, Maybe. like, a childhood memory of that or whatever. These fucking dogs are making noise next to my microphone, so sorry, audience. <laughs> hey, y'all go anywhere else to do this, please. So they, uh, he sings this song, and he also uh, tells his his henchmen their their master plan. Right, um, which I, I kind of wish, I, I mean, I, I was taking notes, so I don't exactly remember the, the wording of this, but it's like, yeah, something, something, get the queen, you know, that's the plan right now. Uh, which I kind of wish we didn't actually say to the audience because I think sort of the mystery elements of this movie are pretty fun. So if like if you got to play along a little better until you without knowing the answer, like oh why is Fidget getting all these uniforms? I wonder where we're going with this. Could be a little more fun. Yeah, but it would be a pretty big mystery. Like why would he need a toy maker and these clothes? Like to, right. why I don't know. He's bigger than everyone else. Why doesn't he just storm the palace? Like he's got this big cat. Like. It would be pretty confusing if you didn't understand where he was trying to go with this, where, like, he's trying to get uh, somewhat legitimate control over the kingdom by not right. actually legitimate control because he's going to use a robot to do it. committing a coup, but, though. Right. But use this robot to say, this is my new boyfriend. He has, you know, he's in charge. Right. He murdered the shit out of that mouse earlier, by the way, the one that called him a rat. That's how that scene went. Oh, yeah, that did happen. He rings a bell. Yeah, he sees he takes him, he, he rings a little bell, and uh, we see this giant cat come out, and it's like, okay, this rat is using his cat that he has some sort of power over to uh, kill his friends and minions uh, right. whenever, on, on a whim, basically. And really, it reminded me of the hook scene at the beginning, where it's like, you know, he, based on the guy was singing in the crow's nest and it annoyed him, he shot and killed his own man just to, because he could, basically. So a lot of similarities there. But uh, then we cut to uh, back at back at Basil's. Uh, we cut to because uh, we're still explaining uh, Radigan here. So then we cut back from like, yeah, that was him. And, you know, I've been chasing him for all this time and blah, 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 blah. And then we see Fidget is outside the window, um, scares, scares Olivia, who's there and then, you know, runs off. Uh, and basically we get 
uh, Basil and Dawson chasing out after him and trying to find clues. Uh, Dawson actually finds his hat that he dropped. And so it's like, okay, we got to break in the case. We can, we know that bat, uh, you know, the bat's got Olivia's father. That means Radigan has Olivia's father. We can use this hat and find, find where he's going. So how did, um, it's never really explained how Fidget knows that Olivia is at, uh, Basil street, right. Or Baker street. Um, you know, like he just shows up That's in the window point. there, but like it's not um, like he's been trailing them the whole time. This we haven't set that up right. like Gollum. Like he left Radigan's and just some right. I don't know if he just went up and down every street looking for her or I don't know how he pieced together that that's where because it's not like he heard like if that would make some sense if Flavisham said like all right if something happens to me you go straight to Baker Street whatever then like then it would make sense for Fidget to know that but I don't right. know how he not explained. <laughs> but he found him somehow, and now they got to go find him. And so uh, we got the hat, and we're like, okay, we're going to go. We need we need help from Toby. And then Dawson's like, who's this Toby chap? And it's like, oh, you'll love him. And so then we cut to, oh, but we get a lot of fun here because uh, Olivia wants to come along too. And uh, she's, like, you know, really excited running around and uh, knocks uh, Basil's violin off. And so Basil has to, like, dive and catch it. And is like, no. You're a child. You're not coming along here. Uh, and that is final. And he sets his violin in his chair while he's given this. And then he sits down <laughs> on his violin and ends up destroying it anyway. So, like, it's, uh, so we get the comedy of that. And then also just general uh, comedy of, like, uh, and what seems to have been sort of a recurring thing, because we saw this in Fox and the Hound, too, of just, like, adults who are not really comfortable around children. Like, because we saw that with Big Mama and... uh, uh true. Todd when he was a baby he's like no it's like curling up against her and he's she's like oh no 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 and that's kind of the same thing as like I think Olivia you know hugs on to Basil a couple times and he's just like uh take right. take this Which, child you away know, Watson is the um, more nurturing she's, and, or, not, or Dawson is the more nurturing and, and caring <laughs> of the two characters where Sherlock wants to get to Radigan he right. I mean I don't know that he yeah we, he doesn't really care that Olivia's father was taken we know that uh, the only reason he jumps up is because, right. uh, you know, she hear, he hears about the bat and sees that as a way to get it Radigan. He's focused uh, on that and not so much on, you know, is this girl happy and, and is she with her family? Right. But he doesn't seem to, you know, he's lost in his own mind as a character. He doesn't right. seem to connect with other people all that well. So it's understandable. But, you know, you're not coming along and that is final. And then we immediately cut to, like, Basil sneaking his way out behind, like, a pain on a wall or something and then Dawson peeking out behind him and then Olivia pushing <laughs> the wall all the way open like hey looking around so mm-hmm. she the kid does get to come along and where we are is we're upstairs in 221B because we see Sherlock and Watson's shadows on the wall uh you know having a conversation figuring out clues um but then we're basically borrowing their bloodhound <laughs> Toby um who we get a adorable dog in the movie which is good for marketing and he's pretty pretty uh entertaining for most and, of the scenes too. you know pretty um, clearly if you've got a big dog and radigan's got a big cat we know that at some point they're going to confront each other later in the movie yeah we can mm-hmm. see that showdown that's going to go down but yeah so he he goes up to toby with uh fidget's hat and he's like kind of talking to him like he talked to a dog like toby starts growling he's like oh yeah oh this rapscallion mm, yeah uh, you know, you'll you'll get him, stiff him out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm, peg leg, broken wing, and then Toby just like stops and gives like a confused face, and he's like, "Oh, he's a peg leg bat with a broken <laughs> wing." Uh, like, so we get a lot of uh, you know, chuckles uh, in this movie, which 
I mean, we haven't had a lot of comedy lately yeah, since like true. maybe We've Robin Hood. Serious. You know, not a lot of laughing in Fox and the Hound or Black Cauldron. So it's, it's good we got a couple jokes in there. Um, and then you know he's got the scent, so we're off. So we're all riding uh, on this bloodhound running through the streets of london and then so we cut to fidget again uh in a toy shop and he's uh got a little checklist of shit that he's getting uh he's we can see him shoving like uniforms in a bag and his list says like gears uniforms girl um i didn't get the girl yet but you know (laughs) no i'll get her and uh uh so this is where i was thinking like you know the kind of the mystery angle is fun so Mm -hmm. he's like what does he need all these things for and why is uh flaversham building this robot like where are we going and then we're uh we get some (laughs) more comedy as we arrive on the dog and it's like okay we're going into the building here uh toby you wait out here toby sit and he doesn't do anything toby sit and he doesn't do anything and then olivia goes sit toby and his butt just immediately slams to the ground when the dog when the dog sits down the whole orchestra you know hits a hits a one big note there at the same time to sort of enhance the joke uh and speaking of the orchestra the music for this movie was done by henry mancini uh who is a pretty famous composer uh and sort oh. of a jazzy guy did the peter gunn theme and the pink panther theme mm. and uh music cool. for all kinds of different movies uh and tv yeah, shows yeah. so that's pretty neat that guy there's been a few times we've done like sort of sneaking music that sounded like a knockoff of that or of pink panther but we don't really get that in this movie that he's actually involved in so but now we got a toy shop at night we gotta search around and look for some more clues and they believe that fidget is in the in the uh in the toy shop and so they've got to be extra quiet they're trying to they know he's lurking they're hoping they can find him before he finds them basically right and then uh cut to uh you know we have to be very quiet and then cut to immediately we set off like a really loud like marching band toy that yeah olivia sets it off yeah right uh and we also get a a a cameo here from a different uh disney character and this becomes a thing uh in a lot of 90s movies but i i noticed this here i think this might be the first one one of the little toys uh is a a baby elephant that's blowing bubbles and it looks exactly like dumbo um which is my favorite making a comeback right at the same time fuck dumbo but right you know it is a, a cute thing, and I'm glad that I almost, like, we talked in uh, the Fox and the Hound episode about how I almost never notice continuity issues in a movie. I also mm. almost never notice the, like, hidden Mickey or the, like, whatever, like, Dicks are, th- or <laughs> sorry? <laughs> Dicks are us? What are you what saying? Are. Picks are, uh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I also don't... <laughs> I just said I don't know what dicks are. <laughs> uh, I also don't notice the Pixar thing where they hide the uh, the rocket truck or the Pizza Planet truck in all the different yeah. movies. Um, well, even Disney movies going forward, there's scenes like in Aladdin where Sultan's building his little figurines. There's like a beast figurine in there and yeah you know stuff like that. And the frozen characters appear in something yeah. or another and I don't know. I watched Moana last night uh, when Rock is trying to You're just going to keep saying his, uh, it that way, aren't you? That's how it's... How are you supposed to say it? Moana. Moana is the name of the movie. Well, I, I live in Arkansas and I right, watched well, Moana. You just <laughs> talked about how I said Bill Bo and you're over here saying Moana. <laughs> like it's a hyphen in her name. Like Moani. I watched Moana the other night. 
the rock does transformations and he screws it up and he transforms into the reindeer from frozen at one point so like that kind of shits how many times have you seen that movie now moana twice it was on tv oh it's on but TV I, now? I rented it once when it came out yeah it was on disney I uh, mm-hmm. I just saw it in the theater. I also don't think that I've seen Frozen all the way through. No, I've seen it once uh, since since I saw it in the movie theater. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. How do you feel about uh, since we're way off track anyway? How do you feel about rewatching uh, TV series? Rewatching a series? It has to be one I yeah. really like. Like people that rewatch The Office four or five times, or like I mean, if I don't rewatch The Office intentionally, but like if it's on and nothing else is, I'm turning on The Office. Right. So that's but, how that works. Okay. For me. So if it's on TV, yes. But like people that like, well, I've watched all of, uh, you know, I've binged this series, but I'm going to watch it again now. Like, yeah, I don't back, really do that. Yeah. I don't, I don't either. Like, I've watched it one time and I'm, but I, you know, you do rewatch movies. I don't know why. But I also think like if I started a series, I would want to like watch the whole series again. Whereas like, you know, which would take a long time. Um, right. I don't know. But there are people, well, and especially, like, a, like, you know, I'm a teacher, and, like, so all the, like, teenagers are talking about how many times they've watched this series beginning to end or whatever, and it's like, yeah, but why? Rick and Morty is going to be my guess. so many things out there that you could have been watching. Like, well, usually it's The Office is the one that they've watched over mm-hmm. and over again. Uh, some of them Grey's Anatomy. Uh, it's like a comfort food kind of thing. It's just like, it's on, you don't have to pay attention to it, but you know the characters, and you like them, and you're yeah. wondering what they're going to get up to in this one. I guess that's true. Um, speaking of shows being rewatched, uh, a lot of the, uh, there's like a lot of toy danger in this scene and it kind of reminded me of like, uh, some Batman, Batman, the animated series scenes of just like, I'm sure the Joker like chased Batman around with like giant toys and stuff like that before, like toy shop shit. Yeah. That's in, uh, uh, it's in the Christmas one where they could go into an abandoned toy shop thing and like the toy soldiers come to life or whatever. And yeah. And so that really felt like that to me. Just like, oh, this toy's got a, like, it's a uh, horse with, like, a jouster on top, and he's chasing you. And it's like, oh, he pinned Basil to this wall and shit like that. Um, so uh, after the after Olivia sets off the one toy, Fidget uh, sets off all the toys at once, causing all kinds of confusion right. and allowing him to mm-hmm. get the jump on him. And then we get another jump scare when uh, mm-hmm. Olivia like walks up to it looks like a baby carriage or whatever, but then it, you know she touches it and then it like the baby jumps out and it's a bat dressed up like a baby and then we do the same scary face. Um, right, Fidget gets to dress up a lot in this movie. Like he does, yeah. He uh, he does he dresses like a baby there. Later on, he'll dress as Olivia and we redo this scene basically, except with Dawson Pretty coming much. up to it, yeah, uh, to her. Uh, and then but, he dresses as a soldier at the end and like right. You'd think a bat with a peg leg and a broken wing wouldn't would be pretty recognizable, but yeah, but master of disguise. He immediately bags up Olivia and escapes up some uh, like a block tower, and then you know Basil's chasing him, but the blocks collapse, and then so Olivia's gone now. And now what we've had sort of like a makeshift hero team where Dawson was just helping out, and then now it's like oh shit, the girl's gone, and like we really have a reason to stick with this case and see it through, you know? Right, uh, and. Basil blames Dawson here, but Dawson also blames Dawson, so he's like upset about it, and it's like right. we have to. This, we we have didn't to save her. Mention this before, but before he runs away with Olivia, uh, he's lost his list. Uh, Dawson right. finds it. Uh, he keeps exactly. trying to tell Basil about it. Basil doesn't want to hear it. Um, then, after she gets taken, uh, Basil, you know, unloads on Dawson and just keeps, you know, telling him what a uh, fuck up he is and how, you know, now she's been kidnapped and all that kind of stuff. 
And like Dawson but, kind of agrees, but then he also mentions that he has the list, and then that makes Basil happy. Dawson. You're a genius. <laughs> yeah, right. breakthrough in the case. And since we've seen as a foot, let's part go. of what's on the list already, we don't necessarily see uh, right away how this list could be helpful. Well, we get to watch right. Sherlock do some more experiments and figure some stuff out. But right, I mean, it's evidence is is enough basically. Uh, we get another scene with Radigan here uh, bringing Olivia to uh, her her father, making good on so, his you know, threat here here's the leverage i have your daughter you're going to do what i want but also olivia while being like brought in by uh uh by fidget here like you know wants to let go and wants him to let go and immediately stomps on his foot and he just goes oh oh my foot my only foot and yeah you know, that is funny <laughs> we've transitioned back to serious here or back to silly here mm-hmm. um yeah, we threaten him, threaten him some more, and then as we're Radigan and, and Fidget are walking away from this scene, Radigan questions Fidget, and uh, Fidget basically lets slip that he lost the list, and uh, and he, so Radigan's like, and you know, but like represses himself and then calmly walks away with Fidget off screen, and then we hear the bell again. So he's trying to feed Fidget to the cat for this screw up because now he knows that you know. Basil is on the case, and uh, right. Fidget puts up a fight while the cat is trying to eat him, though he doesn't just, you know, get go down quietly like the previous mouse did, and as that right. goes on, Radigan sort of pieces together, like, oh, this may not be the worst thing, we can kind of use right. this. Yeah, now we can set up a trap. And so now he's happy with Fidget, and he saves him. And so then we cut back to uh, Basil pulling some Sherlock magic here of just setting these burning the list and analyzing the ashes and doing the big Rube Goldberg machine and causes a chemical reaction. And Dawson's like, what does, what does any of this mean? And he's like, well, but uh, that reaction could only be caused by, uh, you know, the, salt water, the, this salt water and uh, also interacting with the sewer. And uh, this paper is only used in this part of town and it'll be at a CD bar. So we got to look at this map and find where the bar, where the sewer meets the waterfront. Right. Because of the, um, uh... Because of the salt water, it can only come from the riverfront, uh, which... Salt river. Yeah, that that was my question. But I don't know enough <laughs> about the word riverfront to know, like, if that doesn't actually mean that's where the river is, if that means, like, that's where uh, the, the sea comes to town or whatever. But, like, I, most <laughs> rivers don't have a lot of salt in them. Like, some of them do, like, close to, you know, where they empty into the ocean or whatever. There's some mixing there where there could be some salt water. But, like, rivers right. are freshwater. That's the whole point of rivers. Like, <laughs> but okay but he figured it out so we're going to a bar and uh is this the first bar scene in an animated disney movie it might Um, be and uh, i can't think of any we had like pete's dragon had a bar but sticking with animated right i mean the pirates drink in in peter pan yeah they don't go to a you know a pirate bar or anything i guess and this is meant to be like a real seedy place yeah is this more like in the the, air uh the El Slizo from the Muppet movie? Or I think is it so. <laughs> more like the bar from uh from Blazing Saddles. Which one uh Yeah, I did think of some comparisons there once our, our cabaret kind of starts right. and I just yeah. wished Madeline Kahn was the <laughs> mouse instead of what we actually get, but it was originally supposed to be Madonna. Yeah, I heard about that. Um don't know if I'd have liked that more or less. I, I mean, don't know. Is there anything that you enjoy about Madonna? Like eh, not really. I mean I don't really I there's not a lot of Madonna songs that I know or like. Um, I like A League of Their Own. 
where like, yeah, League of Their Own is good. The first year where I just decided I was not going to watch the Super Bowl halftime show was like the year that yep. Madonna did it, like 50 plus years old. And like, who gives a fuck about Madonna? Uh, <laughs> right. Sorry if we just alienated all the Madge fans out there. But at the same time, fuck you, Madonna. Like, what have you ever done that was interesting? The Coldplay year was worse. I wish I skipped that. Well, no, because what, Cold, if it had just been Coldplay, sure. But then like you ended up getting Beyonce and Bruno Mars and like totally like, hey, this was your show, Coldplay. But like, vroom, you go over there and because that was the year Beyonce i don't did. remember beyonce oh yeah no, beyonce did it herself she did but she was also there that year and that's when they did the the formation or whatever and like had all the girls in the end zone or whatever like i don't know that she was announced it was a whole thing i'm right on this Look, what formation me, what are you talking her about her song is called formation it's a whole thing that said, all I remember is her making the stupid face and it being posted on the internet. <laughs> that was the year she did it herself, though. The Super Bowl 50 halftime show took place February 7, 2016 at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California as part of Super Bowl 50. It was headlined by the British rock group Coldplay with special guest performers Beyonce and Bruno Mars, who previously had headlined the Super Bowl Roman numerals. <laughs> 47 sure. at Super Bowl 48 halftime shows, respectively. So Basil and uh, Dawson are walking into this bar in their disguises, and they got a lot of eyes watching them. Um, and so Basil, uh, you know, orders some drinks for him and Dawson. You get some comedy here with Dawson not really knowing how to act CD, you know. Uh, so he, like, bumps into a lady and is like, oh, I beg your pardon, miss. And then she, like, blows smoke in his face. And Basil's like, hey, remember, we're ruffians. And he's like, well, I was until she blah, 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 blah. And it's just silly. Right. But then uh, basically Basil immediately mentions Radigan by name and says he's looking for him uh, to the waitress, which seems like a pretty good way to blow your cover. Like you're trying to be sneaky here and you immediately. Well, maybe perhaps but since he's supposed to be the smartest guy around like maybe he knew it would be a trap or whatever and he's figures he can just, stay ahead of it like he knows the trend why not yeah that's right true. he knows the and that also comes from sherlock or whatever where it's like you know this is a trap and so there's only one thing to do what do we do spring the trap like that's what's uh what he's perhaps doing here by announcing you know rat again even if they're in their disguises like i guess that helped him get in the door and not getting instantly jumped true. but but he doesn't stop Dawson from drinking the drugged, like, he beverage. Says, you know, it's been poisoned, and then, like, but he Dawson's just got on. it already down at that point. Right, but it must not be a very serious poison or whatever. He's up there, like, it right. just gets him super drunk as opposed to, like, you know, right. killing him and, instantly. And then we get a sexy cabaret song. Uh, how do you feel about this? <laughs> it's always been the weirdest part of this movie to me, even though it it's is, a great movie. I mean, it makes... Like, since if it's supposed to be a CD bar, it would be she would that all makes sense. Uh, right. now why you would design this to happen in your movie, it seems like you could get away without this uh song, yeah. Um, uh, song did bring some controversy. Uh, I think it uh, you know, this uh, this movie had to come out edited in certain countries. There was a whole thing, I didn't read the specifics, but like but they got around she sings the... a song about taking off her clothes and then you know does mm -hmm. so and sort of shakes her ass at the camera a bit and right they got around the censors by saying hey it's a mouse and you know it's not a big deal it would be there you know although i'm sure to some people it was a very big deal well i'm sure yeah perverts run the world is jake's uh <laughs> theory from a few years ago but yeah it's true maybe the perverts are 
getting taken down now in this new new era of the world. But I'm pretty sure for a long time, perverts ruled the world. Um, I mean, Walt Disney and his butt thing has been going yeah. on, you know, for a while. We haven't had a butt thing since Walt's death. I wonder if the two might be connected. Mm. But uh, yeah, so sexy lady sings a song, and uh, Dawson gets uh, pretty interested in it. He's fallen in love with this lady. Ends up going up on stage and can-canning with them uh (laughs) which i don't think places really like when you climb up on stage but you know it it, he gets to do so for some reason yeah sure um but then uh fidget walks in wonder how many furries this song helped create and then uh yeah fidget walks in so uh basil starts trying to follow him and in the meantime dawson gets thrown onto the piano and the piano player tries to take a swing at him and hits somebody else and we set off a whole barroom brawl because why have a scene in a bar if you're not going to do that <laughs> but then we follow fidget out of the bar um basil seemingly doesn't sense a trap here because he's just following the bat immediately where he needs to go but we just follow him through some pipes and we drag dawson along with us and uh you know we end up at radigan's little hideaway Right, and he never even says this was almost too easy or anything like that. Like, he, yeah. we finally made it, and it's even grosser than I thought it would be, and I'm, you know. Right. It feels like he's finally, you know, almost got him. Right, but then immediately they get there, and, you know, not in, in true, like, villain fashion here, Radigan doesn't have, like, a bunch of men jump him or, like, you know, drop a net on him or something. He throws him a surprise party. It's like, oh, streamers <laughs> fall down. Thanks for joining us, Basil. And Well, because the way to hurt Sherlock or Basil the most would be to make mm-hmm. him feel like an idiot, and that's what he's trying to do. Like, you followed this. You did everything that I wanted you to do. You fell right into this trap. Like, I'm throwing you a party because you're such a moron. Like, right. And we get some fun, like, hero-villain jabs at each other here where he's like, Oh, you're. I expected you 15 minutes earlier. Trouble with the chemistry set, huh? <laughs> and then, you know, lots of just stuff like that. But basically, Radigan has too many, like, Dr. Evil-esque trap ideas at once, so he decides to do them all together. Uh, which is so he- awesome. So he's got Basil set up in all his traps, and they're all going to be, uh, we get some more Rube Goldberg machine stuff here, because it's all tied up uh, to this record player, because in, in an even greater villain moment, he's going to make Basil listen to this song that he has recorded for such a matter, <laughs> uh, called Goodbye <laughs> yes, So Soon. Perfect. Yes, everything about this is awesome, and made me think about the uh, 60s Batman TV mm-hmm. show, or whatever, where the villain would explain their plan and have an elaborate death trap for Batman that, of course, he would get out right, of. but... Uh, but this even feels like same bat time. Like, but we're getting out of, but we go that step further because we explain a reason for him to get out of. We kayfabe it up because we've already set up that Basil was 15 minutes late. 15 minutes late. he's got places yeah. to be. So he flies off on his like um, little uh, Zeppelin thing. Uh, yeah. That, uh, you know, so he, he can't stick around to see all this work out. But there's no possible way he could escape. So like, right. you know. Plus, it's gonna. He sets up a camera, right? So he's gonna see a picture of them. Oh yeah. Anyway, and this is where like the '80s technology is working against him because like he could have had like a live feed or something set up. Now put a phone on FaceTime and he could watch it. But you know, we well, just sure. have. I mean, it is set in the 1800s, though. Fair so. enough. <laughs> Eight, the 1880s technology. <laughs> But yeah, one of the great villain moments of all time. Like, not only do I have this death trap set up for you, I have recorded myself mm-hmm. singing a song and made a Goodbye. final record of it so that so I can play soon. it. And so uh, Basil seems totally dejected at this point. He's like, how did I not see this was a trap? We're never going to get out of this. Like, he's not even talking. He's just staring out into the abyss while 
while Dawson, Dawson is like, no, we got to get out of this. Uh, you know, you can't just give up. What are you going to, if you're going to give up, we might as well set the trap off now. And then Basil's set like, the trap off now. That's wait brilliant. a minute. Yes. <laughs> Once again, you've done it, Dawson. So basically they, uh, that's their plan. Cause the balls, it's a ball that's dropping. That's going to set off the mouse trap. That'll smash them, then shoot them, then arrow them, then splat them with an anvil. But what they have to do is set the trap off themselves, and the trap will catch the ball and then break everything. And then, you know, in a real fun moment, uh, you know, everything sort of goes exactly the way he planned it. And uh, but only the way he—he's the only one that knows the plan. Watson is just, or Dawson is terrified, has no idea how right. this is going to turn out. Assumes they're about to die, and right. Holmes has fallen in, or Basil has fallen <laughs> into this madness of and depressive the, state, or whatever. Yeah, the axe falls and cuts the trap that they're in in half, setting them both free and out of the way of the anvil that falls. And then uh, somehow the arrow that gets shot off hits the bottle that uh, Olivia's trapped in, which shoots her out of it. And then so he, she lands right in Basil's arms, right as he's taken off his sailor outfit and putting on his hat. And then they all land there. And then he goes, smile, smile everyone. everyone. Mm-hmm. And they smile for the camera. Which when we're talking about later on... Uh, sort of the magic of this film which we like to reduce to a gif or whatever i think this is the scene i would pick for that probably so you know just just cool detective shit basically so then they have to quickly make their way to the palace meanwhile at the palace uh radigan's henchmen have uh confronted the queen and tied her up right I think we'd say, like, oh, he's going to be at the palace. And then as soon as we say that, we just cut to uh, the palace and immediately Rule Britannia is playing, which I, I've never been to London, but I'm assuming it's just on loudspeakers everywhere. Mm-hmm. Throughout just the like city. Whenever you're walking down the street. Dun, 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 dun. But... The ghost of Davy Boy Smith smiles above <laughs> the city. Mm-hmm. So the queen is uh, getting a delivery by all these uh, people in... Uh, all these ruffians in soldier uniforms and she's a little bit concerned, but doesn't seem to realize the danger of the situation. But then, uh, the, the note on the package even has like a little poem attached to it. And it's like, Mm -hmm. uh, something, something, I don't know. Something about your rain coming to an end. Rain comes to an end. Yeah. I don't remember the Mm -hmm. first part of the rhyme, but so she's like, what? And then she opens it up and it's a robot of the queen. She's confused by this, naturally. Right. And then I think Fidget's dressed up there and he, like, insults her and says, uh, you know, men seize this despicable creature. And then Radigan calls into the speakerphone that's attached to it and says, you know, hey, seize this despicable creature. And it comes out of the robot and the men seize the real queen. And, you know, we can see the situation here. We've kidnapped them and we've got a stand-in queen and we've already taken out all the guards off screen, so... They won't be able to stop them. Right. The there's a celebration going on at the palace for the queen's uh, jubilee for how many however many years she's been reigning mm-hmm. is why everyone is gathered, and so then the queen uh, wants the robot actually, but makes an appearance in front of everyone and talks about her new royal consort, um, right, which is going to be Radigan, and he's dressed up in an amazing outfit uh, mm, with all very the medals and bedazzled. And, yeah, I do wonder. Uh, we see they have got Flaversham there. He's having to sort of control the robot here uh, with all his, all his levers and gears and shit. But, like, he's also reading the script that the ro- the robot queen is having to deliver the speech here. Mm-hmm. And, like, you could put anybody in charge of that, right? That doesn't have to be him. You could put someone you trust. <laughs> you are making him work extra hard to move the, uh, the arms and legs and do all the speaking, too, you know? 
Right, and you're addressing the public here. Like, if he goes off script, it could be really bad for your plan. I mean, look at the rest of his henchmen, though. Is there anyone else, like, you consider competent enough to have handled this? Like, are we even sure any of them can read? Like, Havisham may have to do it by default. Plus, I assume he doesn't know that his daughter's been put in a death trap. Like, I assume he thinks, you know, I've got to do this or they'll harm Olivia. But in reality, like, Radigan knows that, in theory, she should already be dead. Um from the uh, the death trap. So Radigan pulls out a giant list of royal decrees, which sadly doesn't go into all of them. Like I yeah. wanted to see him I read to out like a thousand a things. Of, list of Jericho's holds. Like mm, exactly. <laughs> arm bar he does read out one which says uh a heavy tax on elderly the infirmed and children so <laughs> you can see just his evil shit yes he turns work. into the uh the sheriff of nottingham here <laughs> but while this is happening basil and dawson and livia are racing across with toby they're getting to the palace in time um uh, speaking of, we didn't uh, mention this at the time when we were talking about silly villains that can also be effective, uh, you know, monster villains at the end. Uh, that happens with Prince John, too, where, like, he's silly for the whole movie or whatever, and then, like, he gets super offended after the archery tournament and after the, the song about him That's or whatever, true, yeah. where, like, double the taxes, triple the taxes, like, right. he's super furious and is prepared to kill Robin himself. But he goes silly again by the end of that movie when he's yes. sword fighting and sucking, sucking his, thumb his thumb at the same yeah. time. But not in the original ending. True. With all the with the whole thing burns down or whatever. Um, but yeah, so now Radigan is giving out his decrees, and uh, at one point he sort of gestures to the robot, and the robot doesn't respond, so he just slaps her, which is some pretty great <laughs> villain shit, too. Just like, right. hey, slap the queen right in front of everybody. Uh, but then the Radigan starts saying the radigan then the robot starts you know calling radigan an evil foul sewer rat or whatever and then we cut back and realize basil has freed flavisham and he's controlling the robot and the robot explodes and and toby has chased off the cat that was about to eat the real queen we we left out that detail but that was a thing that happened too and the cat tries to escape and it goes up and over a wall and then we hear like a bunch of dogs attacking him and we reveal like he's escaped into the royal guard dogs Uh, Mm -hmm. so so basically, the villain's got to escape. The plan has been foiled, and now we just got to escape and get out of here, uh, go back to the Zeppelin, and let's get to safety. But, but not then, this uh, time. This time it all ends tonight. Mm-hmm. So our baby faces can build up a contraption of balloons and a British flag and make sort of a hot air balloon out of that and start chasing him. <laughs> I wrote it's powered by balloon farts because yeah, like that's how we're pulling forward as we're letting air out of the balloon like so they fly their balloon fart ship up to the dirigible and uh apparently uh, even early on the plan was to have like okay we gotta you know our big climax i think it should happen on top of big bin that'll be a big uh you know it's a you know, nice tense action you know climax scene we could do that there and then apparently one animator was like what if instead of just being on Big Ben, we like crashed through Big Ben and then we could have the clock gears kind of be, uh, you know, a big uh, obstacle here. And uh, they went with that. And I think it works really well because we think so, too. We've seen fight on top of a thing a bunch of times, but this is new and exciting. And, and uh, it's early 3D animation here. Um, and it also works well because the like the whole movie is based on like small versions Gears. of the big yeah. thing of you mm-hmm. know, well that too but also like mouse sized versions of the human uh 
elements of of London or whatever. And so now, right. yeah, we see Big Ben, but they're not going to fight on the well. They, although they eventually do fight on the outside, they fight on the gears inside, which seems logical for the mice to fight there. You're right. right. Also, and, that yeah. everything has been on gears and levers and right. pulleys, and mm-hmm. so they have their big confrontation here. Radigan, uh, you know, rips off his suit and is ready to fight for real right uh and we get the fight is you know a blend of 2d animation with the mice but on a 3d background and this is the first time we've i believe the first feature film ever this has been in um i think so yeah and it honestly still looks pretty good it does like, uh but yeah so we get some danger because olivia is here too she crashed into it so she's about to get crashed uh crushed in the gears so basil's like he throws i think radigan's cape into some gears to sort of Mm-hmm. you know trap him in a spot and get him out of the way and then he goes to go save uh olivia and then at this point when you know radigan's plan has been foiled and now basil's getting away and he's trapped and he's pissed and he's just like this is when we slow we see you know the transformation into the monster of like his eyes turn yellow and like with red pupils and he just we get a big zoom on his face and uh all of his clothes get ripped off by the gears and now he is the rat and we see really the big size difference between you know Radigan and Basil here and we can immediately see the danger of you know and a here's far, a big fucking rat and a tiny mouse a far more intimidating rat than we saw in Lady and the Tramp too which was supposed right. to be like a big climactic thing and we loved Lady and the Tramp don't get me wrong but like the the fight between Tramp and the rat was kind of like but why like this seems silly but yeah so then we then we break our way back out to the outside of Big Ben and we're on the clock hands. And so uh, we're trying to get Olivia to safety. Uh, we actually do. We get her handed off to the the to Dawson and, and Flaversham's with him, too. Um, but then uh, Radigan runs up behind and, you know, now we've got the fight. The kid's safe, but now we are going to kill the shit out of Basil. <laughs> so he's actually like we see the rat claws and we're just slashing Basil up. Um, we don't see any actual like tangible violence or injury here like we've seen you know black cauldron had actual blood and that kind of stuff in it we don't get we've stepped away from that but uh we it does feel tense and you know we actually get you know a slash and basil up and we end knock him off of the clock and uh you know in a real in a like a true super villain though uh radigan celebrates too early and he's like yes yes i won i won but then basil realizes the clock is about to strike so he says no he has like a good action line and i don't remember what it was they're like you forgot one thing radigan or something and then the bell chimes and it's enough to vibrate and knock radigan off but on the way down he slashes basil too so now they're both falling so it's like oh well fuck basically (laughs) uh you know we we got the villain, but no, at what cost? And we do another Disney fake-out death here, which we seem to be having more and more frequently. Um, right, but in this is a little bit of Sherlock lore that I know, that in one of uh, the books or whatever, he and his uh, archenemy both go over a cliff together or a waterfall together, and it's assumed that they both die. I think it's even you know called the death of Sherlock or whatever. Um, yeah. Which I know that he, spoilers, does die on, or appear to die on the British series, uh, Sherlock, and then eventually is brought back. Um, but a Disney fake-out death is hardly the first time we've seen this. True, because he lands on the remains of the Zeppelin, which is a flying machine. Uh, but yes, it's a flying machine. It's a pedal-operated thing. Right, so there he you comes go. back yeah. up pedaling it. Um, I forgot a funny thing that happened on the way to Big Ben, where uh, 
it, you know, because it was Radigan and Olivia and uh, Fidget all on the thing, and Fidget was the one powering it, and he gets off and is like, no, we, Radigan, I think we need to lighten the load. And he's like, excellent idea, and throws Fidget <laughs> off. Yep. So, Which he does have wings, so, you know. Yeah, but they're broken. Oh, that's true. They got holes in them from the cat. Does the cat have a name? I don't know. I think so, but I don't remember. But basically, we do the mega happy ending of, you know, we've reunited the kid with the dad. um, And, you know, Dawson's like, well, I'm done here. I'm going to say goodbye. But then uh, there's a knock on the door and it's a lady who's, you know, having problems. Um, I don't remember what it was. It's not lady problems. (laughs) It's a it's a crying woman who's like looking for her mother or something like that. And, uh, you know, Basil steps in and accepts the case while also kind of playing wingman for Dawson and just like, oh, my this is my colleague Dawson. We do all of our, uh, uh, you know, cases together, and he's there's no better man to have with you. And, I, and we kind of fade out while Dawson narrates, saying like, "And no, what a, I'll always remember my first case and that kind of stuff." So, and that's the end of our movie. So we assume they're going to continue working together for some time to come. Right. And, and this does feel like we were setting happy. up something like, if this movie came out ten years later, or. Yeah, we'll stick with that. If this movie came out 10 years later than it did and had like a much more high profile release, then I definitely feel like we would have been setting up uh, direct-to-video sequels, TV show, like oh, or all kinds of stuff. If it came out 20 years later, it wouldn't even be direct-to-video sequels. It would be, let's put it back out in theaters, a sequel. Like we'd introduce yeah, some like villain in the very end that would show up, you know, and it could be even a longer time between sequels if we wanted to like, uh, like with The Incredibles, which I know is Pixar- Pixar, right. I'll say it correctly this time. <laughs> I don't even know what dicks are. <laughs> I don't know what happened to me at that point, but Pixar. You got me. Pixar is the word I mean, Pixar. <laughs> but anyway, like, it feels like with this ending, we're setting something up. We're setting up, yeah, you know, Dawson and Basil together if we wanted to keep doing stuff. But I think Disney just in general goes through a pretty big change in the next year that this just gets forgotten. Yeah. But I don't I mean, I think it's worth remembering. It's honestly still a really fun movie. Um, it, is. it might feel slightly cliche because like Sherlock is well tread ground in 2019. But back in 86, I think probably less so. Um, yeah, I'd say so. And like there's great character work. It's funny. The action is good. Uh the original songs I thought were decent to decent to good. Like they weren't cheesy or lame, like the stuff we'd seen in like rescuers and flocks and the hound. Um, and like on a larger budget, I think this would have been like a Disney great. Uh, mm-hmm. It comes up a little short as is, but it is honestly really worth checking out if you're not familiar with it. Oh yeah. It's a good time. Mm-hmm. And it's quick too. Like I, it, I think the runtime is like a, an hour ten or something. It's pretty short. Yeah, it but, felt uh, super fast uh, when I was watching it. Like I, when I looked up the runtime, it's like an hour fifteen, I guess. But it, uh, yeah. I was surprised that it was that long because it felt like it was, you know, over really quickly. Which I guess means Flew that by. it was, you know, well paced and kept things yeah. moving. And so, like, if we get into our rankings, the matters. Uh, that's one of my biggest things. Is like it never really drags at any point, or like repeats like some of the other, other than maybe multiple fiddy fiddy what's fidget jump scares. Okay, there you go. Um, but uh, honestly, I think plot wise, this story plays out great, and all the characters play off each other really well. The dialogue is snappy and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing. It, uh, it. I mean, it is a little on the short side, but I'd rather a movie like get in and get out than stretch out longer than it needs to, like Robin Hood kind of did. True, um, true. So I went with a four and a half on matters. I went with four. Uh, basically, agree with everything you just said. You can tell uh, it's a pretty high quality movie. 
usually by how many notes I took. Now, my notes are never great, uh, but if it's a bad movie, they're usually lengthy. Some of the uh, the ones uh, like Melody Time and Make Mind Music, uh, those had page after page of notes. This one uh, has you know just the one page where I mostly just went. Part of it's because I know this movie really well because I watched it a lot right. when I was little. But part Seems of it is also like I just sat and watched and like you know enjoyed instead of like this is stupid and I need to think about you know explain how this is stupid and this made me think about this because this is dumb too and blah blah blah. This was just pure you know fun the whole time. And even, like, on the watching it a lot thing, uh, I want to say this was, like, okay, so when I, I fortunately grew up with Disney movies and then got out of them around the same time as the transition between VHS to DVD happened. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, you know, suddenly the Disney collection I wasn't watching anymore, but also I grew out of having the ability to watch them. But then I remember, like, I want to say, like, maybe when I was in high school, you got this on DVD, and I want to say it was the first movie that, like, from childhood that we like rebought on DVD. And so, and good choice by the way, because it's a great movie. <laughs> yeah. But like, so then it was, it felt fresh and new it when I was like maybe 18 or 19. It was like, Oh shit, great mouse detective. I remember this movie. It was so good. So that like that triggered nostalgia even then, mm-hmm. you know? So, so we love the matters. The next thing is the meanie. That's the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Dilly, Disney, Dilly, Disney Dilly. movies are judged on uh, on their villains. I feel like if it's going to be a great Disney movie, it needs uh, a villain. Some of the movies that we might have, you know, really enjoyed were sort of lacking uh, in villains. Uh, but this one uh, is really propped up by its villain. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. villain, probably better than the movie around him. Not that the movie around him is bad, but you know, without Radigan, the movie is kind of. Eh. I think Radigan is a five out of five villain. I think um, so too. I think he's perfect. I, yeah, he's 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 great. He's uh he's got the Jafar Iago relationship thing going on with him and uh uh Fidget, which we like. Uh anytime a villain has like lackeys to kick around and have them sort of be the silly ones when he gets mm-hmm. intense. He's not clearly that he's in not love. silly, but yeah. Right. He is silly. He's clearly in love with being a villain, but then he has an intense, you know, scary monster transformation at the end. Um, you know, there's videos somewhere of like of Robin Williams recording, you know, the genie or whatever. Like, I wonder if there's video yeah. of of Vincent Price recording this because it seems like he's having the time of his life, uh, right? You know, embracing all parts of being this villain, which is not a new thing for him, but like that he's wanted right. to be a Disney villain for so long, and he's finally getting the opportunity, and he's just going at it full force. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I really think it's just a bit of a shame that this movie came out in 86 and not 96, because, like, he would be remembered with Jafar and Ursula and Scar and, you know, all the big name villains, Shere Khan. I think he, those are all five out of five villains, in my opinion, and I think he's right up there with them. Right, and, he's... and the versatility that he has. Yeah, but when they put out Disney villain stamps, you know, Radigan didn't get one because people don't remember Radigan. Right, I don't think he's in the, like, House of Mouse villains special. I don't know, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure he's not, you know, one of the, you know, main villains they like to think about, uh, which is unfortunate because I feel like he's perfect. He does the silly stuff, he does the vain stuff, he does the actual threatening stuff. He, you know, he ticks all the boxes you would want him to tick in the same way that Captain Hook does. Fair enough. Keep putting that in there since Jake doesn't agree with me. So Okay, so uh, music is where we go next. Disney music, obviously, very important to the score. We're 20 episodes in. You know that by now. Mm. Uh, so the music uh, to Radigan is a really great song. It's kind of done better when we get to Beauty and the Beast and we do Gaston instead, and it feels bigger. But yeah. 
it's really catchy and i like that we gave vincent price more than one song because he also does uh goodbye so soon um mm-hmm. which uh did you stick around to the credits where that got kind of like a reprise uh, i did not no it, it's actually good i don't think i ever saw you have to like let it play out a bit into the credits but then it's like an actual chorus singing it and stuff and it's not uh the vincent price version and it sounds like a real song and <laughs> it's actually really catchy and on top of that you got the song on the bar too uh which is you know odd and different and doesn't feel like it came from a disney movie but it's no. a catchy song um so you know it doesn't feel uh you know as as big and boisterous as some of these other soundtracks we had but it's decent and i gave it a three I also gave it a three. The songs that you mentioned are great, especially uh, the two Radigan songs. But uh, there's not really when you think about a Disney uh, Disney music, uh, you should be able to like walk away from the movie like with that song stuck in your head and like singing along to it. And I don't think like while Radigan is catchy and all, I don't think you would walk around just to Radigan to Radigan because I have heard seen this Probably movie several not. times and don't know any of the other words except for the world's <laughs> right. greatest rat at the end. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so I don't think. Um, so while the music is good and the the Henry Mancini, uh, the even the, like you know the the score of the movie is nice too, it doesn't. Uh, it's not. It doesn't stick with you. Stick with you the same way uh, the songs from several of the other movies do. For example, there's not like a Bare Necessities. Uh, no. I want to be like you. You know, from right. like from Jungle Book or even like some of the more serious sappy songs that you know stick with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit lacking, but you know. The, the studio is going through some transformations at this time. This was the like the B script basically while they were working on Black Cauldron. Um, so we're going to see where they go on from here because pretty soon it's going to start uh, start hitting. Uh, after that, we go to mise-en-scene. Uh, I, I went also a three on this one because it, it does look a bit cheap at times. If you pay attention to uh, the coloring of uh, Radigan's coat, like you can see like weird visual stuff going on there. Um, but at the same time, the Rube Goldberg stuff is fun. Like the designs of that kind of stuff and, uh, the musical cues are memorable. Radigan's transformation is great. And the clock climax is really intense and cool. And, uh, so while the clock climax probably blew you away in 1986, it doesn't now. So no, but it's still well done. Right. So, uh, yeah, I went with the three. I went with three and a half. It is, uh, it's, you know, the voice acting is, is good. Uh, the, I like the, the way, you know, you set up the human world and the mouse world at the same time. Although I think that's done a little better in Rescuers, uh, than here, which I wouldn't say much is done better in Rescuers, (laughs) but I do think that is done better in Rescuers where they're sort of repurposing human things, uh, for mouse things. And you get a little of that here, but not as much. Uh, so yeah, three and a half, uh, it was Mm -hmm. above average, but not just a, an amazingly well done movie or anything. Right. You can tell most of their budget went to Black Cauldron, which looks great, but uh, is not quite as fun of a film, I'd say. <laughs> and then we do Message. And this one kind of stumped me a little bit because we don't, there's not a whole lot of message heavy stuff in this movie. Um, you do have a little bit of a story of Basil, like growing fond of Olivia as it goes on by the end of the film. He's actually kind of, you know, yeah. fatherly to her and stuff. Um, and learning how to be friends with Dawson in the and, same way. Right, yeah. And uh, I thought, like, just kind of the friendship relationship kind of stuff was where this movie did pretty well. Because, you know, a lot of times you know, it's a Disney movie. It's like, well, what if we threw in, like, a, a fallen in love kind of thing? And it's like, well, we don't really do that in this. It's really more about just becoming friends, mm-hmm. uh, like with Basil and, and Dawson. And I thought that was fun and, and a little bit different. And I thought the message, like the character growth, that kind of stuff would 
probably if we did go further in this series, like with a sequel or with other books and stuff, we could get into that a little more, uh, have characters develop and grow and that kind of stuff. But I think since we're trying to just introduce people and introduce characters to each other, we don't really dive into that. So No. But we do get, uh, I mean, it's not like hammered home the way some Disney messages are because we don't have like a, a conscience or a godmother or anyone, any other mentor right. to like hammer this home. We do have messages about like not giving up where Basil tries yeah. to do that a few times, but, you know, continues to work and finally reaches his goal. Because, right. you know, when he, at the beginning of the movie, when he looks through all the, or when he's doing his little experiment with the bullets, he gets all depressed. He gets, he wants to just kind of sit in his chair and mope for a little bit. Uh, right. When they're on the death trap, he does the same thing. So there's a few times where he wants to give up, but uh, something either done by Olivia or by Dawson causes him to, you know, keep going and have an idea and a breakthrough. And he needs, even though he's a genius and he's, you know, so uh, capable and so great at, at filling out, or filling out, <laughs> figuring out, out all these uh, puzzles, uh, he needs help from others, whether he's aware of it or not. Right. He, he needs others. Um, so that's nice. Uh, but it could have been stated a little more and is stated more in like Sherlock uh, right. than and in elementary as well um, than, than here. Right. So I went with a three for message. And I did too. I think we're going to end up with the same score at this rate. <laughs> and then we end with the magic score. I, I, I love this film a lot. Uh, and since I watched it a lot, I have a ton of nostalgia, but I can see where it's maybe not that magical if people haven't seen it before and you're watching it for the first time. Like, right. I could see where it would fall short. It's just like, okay, it's just like an adventure movie. Like other studios could have made this. And I suppose that's true. But I also remembered mm-hmm. you bringing up, uh, perhaps it was during Lady and the Tramp or maybe like during the f- first Lady and the Tramp that didn't get <laughs> the, the recording that we lost. Um <laughs> I forgot we recorded that one twice. Yeah. Well, I, you brought up something that's like, but magic score could also mean, uh, like you were saying, you think of magic score as like how a movie makes you feel when you watch it. Like if you can rate that sort of like inner happiness into the magic score. And that's really high for me because just, uh, you know, it hasn't even been a whole lot, a whole long time since I've seen this movie, like maybe three or four years maybe but even so it was just like immediately drawn back into it and writing all these notes because it was just so uh enthralling and so based on what it did to me there i gave it a three on magic i gave it two and a half uh i really enjoy this movie i don't know how much other people enjoy this movie i don't feel like it's necessarily memorable like um if i feel like even if people have seen this movie they're like oh yeah i've seen that you know and they don't really feel any sort of attachment to it the way and maybe we need more like fairy tale elements to to feel that kind maybe. of attachment or a story that's more about where the where the main where the uh, the young characters <clears throat> the young characters show some sort of growth along the way the way that like Mowgli does or that Bambi does or that uh, even slightly older characters like like Cinderella or, or I started to say Snow White but she doesn't necessarily no. But anyway, even slightly older characters who, who where it's told from the young person's perspective and you see them learn a lesson along the way where like Olivia doesn't really do that. Like she is she's there because she sort of makes the others do what they end up doing. But it's not her story. Right. right? The story is is Basil's story. Basil learns a lesson, but he's already, you know, old and or not old, but he's already, an you know, an adult. And, and and we don't really have a a clear view of like how much his life is going to be different moving on, except he's going to work with Dawson, we know. 
but uh yeah so i gave it two and a half i mean it's there's some nice things i guess there are a couple of possible gif moments there's the the one you talked about with with the picture um where they take the picture after the death trap which is probably the right answer uh but also i guess the the like radigan picture with like the lightning light lightning with the lightning flashing right. behind it um is yeah cool too. yeah so two and a half totaling that up just to recap i did four and a half matters five meanie three music three mise-en-scene three message three magic uh, a lot of threes at the end so that adds up to 21 and a half uh stripper mice out of 30 <laughs> i did four matters five meanie three music three and a half mies three message and two and a half magic which comes out to 21 peg-legged bats uh out of 30 with mine, it, it uh, there are two other movies that scored a 21, so it comes out to a three-way tie. Uh, and so when we have a tie like that, we use the magic score to break that tie. So it will be uh, third amongst those three. But uh, So that would put it in eighth place overall for me. So yeah, with its, its 21 and a half score, you can see we have very different scoring techniques because it's an eighth for you. It's going to be in third for me. Yeah, that's right. We got a film cracking the top three. Uh, it's now in third place with 21 and a half. Second place, still Cinderella with 23 and a half. And Jungle Book still number one with 27 and a half. Just to, well, actually, forget I said all that because we've made it through 20 films. This is a, a milestone episode. We should probably go through our entire list, don't you think? Uh, Sure. Okay, so going through my list, we made it through 20 episodes, 20 Disney films are ranked, and we are going to give you the whole list for each of us, um, starting with me. Uh, coming in at number 20, you all know what it is. It was a lame film about an elephant, and I don't know why we're remaking it. It's Dumbo with six. And then right above that, I got Sword in the Stone with seven total points. Uh, number 18, we got Black Cauldron with 12. Number 17, we've got The Rescuers with 13. Number 16, we've got Peter Pan, which is very upsetting for Dustin. But number 16 only got 16 points and lost a tiebreaker to number 15, Fox and the Hound, which also only had 16 points. Then we got more ties here, but uh, with all the tiebreakers working out, we got Bambi at 14, uh, Sleeping Beauty at number 13, and Fantasia at number 12. Those all had 17 total points. Uh, More ties up here. (laughs) Shit, I got a lot of ties. Uh... Uh, number 11, Robin Hood. Number 10, Alice in Wonderland. Number 9, Pinocchio. Those all ranked in with 18 total points out of 30. Then at number 8, we've got Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh with 18 and a half total. Then at number 7, we got 101 Dalmatians with 19 total. Uh, number 6, we've got Lady and the Tramp with 19 and a half total. Number 5, we've got Aristocats with 20 total, tying Snow White with uh, at number 4 with also 20 total, but it won the tiebreaker. And then uh, I'll let Dustin do his... Other rankings, and we're going to do our top three together. My number 20th ranked film, last of the bunch at this point is, I'm on the wrong picture, is uh, Sword in the Stone, uh, then Dumbo, and then Rescuers at, at 18, then Fox and the Hound, then Sleeping Beauty at 16, 15 The Black Cauldron, uh, 14 Winnie the Pooh, 13 Fantasia, 12 Alice in Wonderland, 10 The Aristoc- or I'm sorry, 11 The Aristocats, <laughs> 10, 101 Dalmatians, 9, Pinocchio, then 8, The Great Mouse Detective, 7, Robin Hood, 6, Lady and the Tramp, 5, Bambi, 4, Peter Pan, and then we'll do our our top threes here. So your number three movie is... The Great Mouse Detective with 21 and a half. Yours is... Mine is Snow White. Number two movies, I got Cinderella with 23 and a half. 
And I have the Jungle Book. And then number one, I have the Jungle Book with 27 and a half points. And I have Cinderella at number one. So our uh, top twos are the same, even though they're in different orders. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see how long that continues to be true. And in our in our next episode, we'll actually probably look at our le- lists a little more in depth so that we can talk about, you know, here's a movie that's close to the same order. Here's one that's way out of proportion on one's, one person's list than the other, or way higher, way lower. Um High scores on magic, high scores on each thing, maybe. Right. I uh, We had a lot of fun with the, the 10 film recap episode last time around, and we're going to be doing that now, going all the way back from 101 Dalmatians is where season two of this podcast started, and we'll take <laughs> it all the way through uh, Great Mouse Detective, which we just did. Yeah. And so we'll focus on those 10, but we'll also look at our whole lists uh, overall. Maybe we'll rank just those 10 and mm-hmm. look at those rankings, and then... Uh, where they fit in overall and go from there. Talk about changes with the studios we've seen over that time. Talk about themes. Talk about what did this... I think we'll talk a lot about female characters in those uh, 10 films because we sort of saw some growth in the previous 10 films and I think they mostly dropped off in this in this set of 10. Um, I mean, did we really see growth? I, th- I thought the only female character we liked in the first 10 or we thought actually did you know had some growth was lady from lady and the tramp okay maybe i should rephrase that we had female characters in the first 10 that could be fine we told stories about females and we've really gotten away from that um that part might be accurate sure but yeah we'll we'll do a whole lot uh whole lot of discussion uh when we get to that one and that'll be coming next and then the next main film we have is oliver and company which i've seen a handful of times and don't remember much about. <laughs> yeah, but once we get through that, then we hit the heavy hitters. Little Mermaid. Yep. Beauty and the Beast. Lion King. Rescue is down under. Comes well. Yeah. Well, that's it's in there. Too. You're out of but order yeah. here, but great movies okay. all around. So fine. So it was. It's. Uh, I believe it's Oliver, Oliver and Company. Then, Little Mermaid. Rescuers down then under. Rescuers. Beauty, then and the Beast, Beauty and the Beast. Then yeah. Aladdin. Then Lion King. Oh, I left out Aladdin. Uh-huh. Then like Pocahontas, and we start to fall off again. But uh, yeah, Hunchback, and yeah. But they're still, you know, mm-hmm. they're better than some of the shit we just went through in the seventies <laughs> and eighties. It's true. Yeah. So we'll see how uh, everything goes, and we look forward to y'all watching along with us. Um, and that's really all I got. So thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Jake. And I'm Dustin. Thanks for being with us for these first 20 episodes. Yeah. See you for the next 20. Yeah. Bye. Dudes. Goodbye so soon and isn't it a shame We know by now that time knows how to fly So here's goodbye so Short, I'll say so long.